So when I was growing up, I lived in a very clean house. And some of you have uh, been to my parents' house and you have a gist of what I'm talking about. But I mean very clean house. And every room in the house was extraordinarily clean such that there were certain rooms if you walked in, it was known you walked in there. The, the carpet, anyone grow up with the carpet done just so that footprints showed up? Or pillows that my mom could tell if they were compressed or, or books out of line? Well, there was one room in the house that didn't usually measure up to the standards that my mom required. That was my bedroom. And once a week, my mom would say to me, Jonathan, you need to clean your room. And what that meant was the laundry that had been done for me and folded and put on my bed, I needed to put it away. See, I had a hard life. And the toys that I had that I had taken out to play with had to be put away. And, and I had to dust and things like this. So I was a, a clever young lad. So I would take my clothes and shove some in the back of the closet and some back down the laundry chute. I would take my toys and hide them behind dressers and beds, and I would dust only up to about eye level because my mom was short. And, well, I'll let you hear another time how that played out. But what I was after was bare minimum obedience. What was the least I could do to satisfy the command that my mom gave me? Because I knew I had to obey. My house was not a house where kids were like, well, I don't want to. Because my dad, anyone else have the dad with the leather belt? And you know, boom, they'd snap that sucker. Anyway, y'all can pray for me, I have issues. But let me ask you this question. And we're, we're going to start Philemon today and we're not going to get very far. Because if we don't start here, we have a problem. Do you strive after bare minimum obedience with Jesus? Or do you understand that we're saved to obedience in maximum levels? What do I mean by that? Does Jesus mean what he says? Yes or no? Yes. You sure? How sure are you? Matthew 18. Take a little side trip. In Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, Peter, you're saved by grace. Just do your best. It doesn't really matter what you do. Amen? No. He says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. You all know the story? When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, and he could not pay. His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything. Understand how stupid that is. You owe me uh, basically the GDP of a small country, but don't worry, you're going to pay me back. Gotcha, champ. But it says, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Basically, you could pay that back. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. 
He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and you should, and you should have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger... His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now listen, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Hold on, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't really mean you have to forgive people, right? He doesn't mean that, help me out. So you're saying he literally means what he says? Well, well hold on, well, what if you go to Matthew 6? Y'all know the Lord's Prayer? I always wondered as a baby believer why people were so comfortable praying that. Because it was very uncomfortable to me as a young believer. But look down here, verse, 13, verse uh, 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. <clears throat> the Lord says what? For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, stop. No, no, he doesn't mean this. Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Like, when my mom said clean the room, she didn't really mean clean the room, right? She meant find the bare minimum you could get by with and not get whooped by your daddy. Well, when Jesus tells us we need to love one another as he loved us, forgive one another, or how about this, if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. He doesn't really mean that, does he? What he's saying is find the bare minimum that you can skate by with and still be saved. Now, if you miss any of these coming weeks in Philemon, you got a problem, because each week will be a little top-heavy one way or the other, and we're going to land it at the end. But, but, but listen to this. The book of Philemon is actually about forgiveness, but more so about obedience, and it's about what obedience is, how we do it, and how we have joy in it and glorify God through it. And when we come through the back end of this, I hope what you will see is if you are saved, you are saved to obey God. And little by little, you will strive to obey God to the maximum possible level because of the reality of who God is and who you are in Christ. Let's just make this a little more uncomfortable for a minute. Then we'll comfort you with the bomb of Gilead. Who here, when it comes to stewardship, we'll do financial and time-wise, who here is just delightfully engaged in joyfully giving back to the Lord, at least, don't raise your hands, 50% or more of what he entrusts to you? Right? I mean, at least... Half of what God entrusts you, you are just joyfully giving back to him. Can we get real for a minute, American church? We're like, well, I know, I'm pretty sure if you get to 10%, Jesus will get off your back. But we're under grace, so it's not Old Testament. You don't even have to do 10%. So just like throw him a something or other. It keeps him off your back and he might bless you. What's wrong with us? But that, right, you all can resonate, yeah, amen? How about your time? How do you steward your time? Well, dang, I got to show up to church on Sunday, and pastor going to preach long. But you know what? I checked the box. God loves me. You know God demands all of your time. What's the miss? 
What are we missing? Why do we look for bare minimum obedience as opposed to, Mama, you want me to clean my room? Mama, I know how good and kind and gracious you are. I know everything you ask me to is for my good and your glory. I don't know why you want me to clean my room, Mom, but I know how wise and loving and kind you are, so I'm going to clean that sucker silly. Why don't we live that way with God? I hope within three weeks to show you a bit more clearly and fully why and how and the joy that comes from not a life of, do I have to, but a joyful life of, I get to obey. I'm able to obey. There is joy in obedience for the glory of God. Should we dig into this thing? Philemon, I'll give you 10 minutes to find it. Turn to Philemon. You don't know where Philemon is? That tells me that you didn't read it this week. So don't ask where it is. It'll get awkward. But for those of you who weren't here last week, it's right before Hebrews. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, Alphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier in the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now, a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more so to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. So. If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, sorry, my page blew. If he has wronged you at all or if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Now watch how far we get. Y'all ready? Paul. We'll go past that. Imagine if you got a letter and the letter started from Paul. Paul the Apostle. 
It's a big time letter. Capital A, Apostle Paul wrote me a letter. This is awesome. But who was Paul to Philemon? Watch this. You put all the scripture together, you find out Paul was in Ephesus for three years. And while he was in Ephesus, God was using him to start churches all over Asia Minor, and one of the churches that he started was in a place called Colossae. Ever read the book of Colossians? And the church of Colossae met in a guy's house named Philemon. Hold on a minute. Now we're tying the sucker together. Paul knew Philemon because Paul led Philemon to faith, and Paul discipled Philemon in the faith. How do I know? It's in the letter. We'll unpack it over the coming week. So when Philemon gets this letter, he gets a letter from the Apostle Paul. He gets a letter from the founder of the church and his house, but more so he gets a letter from a friend who led him to faith, a pastor, a spiritual father, a dearly beloved brother in Christ. So realize as Philemon reads this letter, there's an emotional engagement involved because this is his dearly loved friend and brother in Christ, Paul the Apostle, who founded the church that meets in his home, who he's known for years. You got that? So Paul goes on and he says, Paul, we're flying now. A prisoner for Christ Jesus. Now this may be as far as we get, because wait till you see what goes on here. Paul was in prison. There are four letters in the Bible called the prison epistles. They're not called the prison epistles because that's what they're called in the Bible. They're letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And one of those letters was Philemon. So here's what's going on, and don't miss the context. Philemon was a wealthy believer in Colossae. Some would say, how do you know he's wealthy? I'm making it up, it fits the story. And so he had a house. The church met in his house, he's wealthy. He knew Saul, Paul intimately, and he had a slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus ran away from Philemon. He stole things when he ran away of value. And Onesimus ran to Rome. You say, how do you know? know? Come back next week. It's all in the letter. And when he runs away, goes to Rome to start a new life, and providentially he meets a man named Paul. Yeah, the Paul. And Paul shares the gospel. He comes to faith. He's discipled by Paul. And now don't miss this. Paul sends him back to Philemon. You say, how do you know that? Now that one I'll tell you today, Colossians 4. And if you flip to Colossians 4, verse 7 to 9, what you see is Paul sent this very letter of Philemon with a man named Tychicus to Colossae to read to Philemon in the context of the church. But don't miss when you get to verse 9, it wasn't just Tychicus that he sent, he sent a man named Onesimus. So this letter shows up to Philemon in person with a slave who ran away who's come to Philemon to ask for forgiveness with a letter from Paul to be read in front of the whole church. And Paul says, I, a prisoner for Christ, am about to ask you, my dear brother Philemon, hmm, to bear a much smaller burden for Christ than I'm going to bear for Christ in prison. But what is that burden? I want you to forgive this man Onesimus. Now, hang with me here for a minute. Onesimus ran away, stole stuff. Do you know what the cultural penalty was? Death. Death. What would you do if you were Philemon? 
Oh, I would forgive him. You lying dog. What do you do when someone wrongs you big time? Well, I forgave them in my heart, but they need to be put in jail. Right? Yeah, I forgive you, but you owe me $10,000 and I'm not letting that go. What would you do? But watch, but watch this. Paul says, go down to verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you what is required. What is required next week? Obedience. It's not suggested, it's required. He doesn't command him, he appeals to him. Listen to this. Paul starts this letter, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Amen? How does he start Romans? We preached through that book, right? You don't remember everything that comes out of my mouth? Church family, come on now! How does he start Romans 1? Take a guess. Well, he does, but, but what does he call himself? He drops some credentials. He calls himself an apostle, verse 1. Amen? 1 Corinthians, drops his apostolic credentials. 2 Corinthians, apostle. Galatians, apostle. Ephesians, Ephesians, apostle. Colossians, apostle. 1 Timothy, apostle. 2 Timothy, apostle. Titus, apostle. Now, I skipped four books for a reason. One of them is Philemon, because in four books he doesn't drop his apostolic credentials. He doesn't say, I am an uppercase A apostle, speak with the power and authority of Christ himself. Now do this. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, dude, you know who I am, but I'm not dropping apostolic credentials on you, Philemon. I don't need to. I'm going to appeal to a brother's heart. He takes the law of the gospel, though I could command you in Christ, because Jesus doesn't say, if you don't mind, Jesus says, do it. And he takes the law and he wraps it in the beautiful gospel and he appeals to the heart of Philemon. Philemon, you know you have to forgive him. How would Philemon know that? Well, he was discipled by Paul. He would know that he'd be breaking the sixth commandment to not forgive him. We'll unpack that next week. But notice this, he appeals to the heart of a brother in Christ who he is absolutely confident is saved. How can Paul be confident Philemon is saved? Well, wait till you see next week when we get to verse 4. It's unbelievable. But he appeals to the heart. Now, here's a question for you. What type of heart does he appeal to? You ever read Ezekiel? You ever read Ezekiel chapter 36? Oh, maybe somewhere around verse 26 where it says, And I, the Lord speaking, will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will, listen, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you want to know what a Christian person really is? Listen closely. It is a person who is able and desirous and active in obeying God. Why do I say that? Well, because new life in Christ is evidenced by God putting within us a new heart by his spirit, which is caused to walk in his statutes and to be careful to obey his rules. Here's what's so hard. 
We live in a cultural context where we think Jesus is joking, just like most kids think their parents are joking. You ever, you ever watch kids nowadays? Like when I grew up, my mom said, clean your room. If I even looked at her screwy, there would be this wrath coming down on me from six feet and four inches high. And don't, my dad didn't beat me around the house. It was the reality of who my dad was and my mom to an extent that drove obedience. My mom tells a story when I was about 18, she told me to do something, I went and did it, and one of her friends said, aren't you afraid that he'll just say no and there's nothing you can do about it? And my mom looked at her and goes, not afraid one bit. And she's right, because there was a healthy fear of my mom I had, right? She could not physically whoop me, but she was my mama. Friends, watch how kids interact with their parents. Read Romans 1 through 3. Look at God's wrath of abandonment. You know one of the primary markers of wrath of God's abandonment is children are disobedient to parents. Now look at how we interact with God. God says, do this, and we say, yeah, no. You ever see a kid do this when their parents are talking? Nyam, 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 nyam. You ever see that? My friends, let me put this into to clear language for all of us. This is a hard week. They build up. We'll get nice in a minute. You ever hear someone say, because none of us would do this, yeah, I, I just, I don't read the Bible. I, I can't concentrate. I just don't have time. I, I just don't read the Bible. Can I explain very clearly what we're doing to God when we do that? Nom, 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 nom. It's scary when you put it this way. But watch what would happen if Philemon lived in the American church. He gets this letter. Actually, we'll back it up to Onesimus. Paul says, Onesimus, as a believer, a new creature in Christ, eternally secure, joyfully forgiven, at peace with God. For the glory of God, according to his word, you need to go home to Philemon and ask for forgiveness and make things right. Now, if Onesimus is an American believer, you know what he's going to say? Well, I'll pray about it. What are you praying about? He told you what God's word said comes back in a week. So Paul, listen, I'm saved by grace through faith. You know, it, it ultimately doesn't matter if I go back because Jesus forgave me. And if I go back, I could get dead. He could kill me. So really, what's the point? I'm just going to stay here in Rome, right? Y'all know that's how that will play out here, right? Or what if Paul, now, you know, what? I'm not even going to even challenge Onesimus to go because he's so helpful to me. I'm in prison. He encourages me. He feeds me. He cares for me. I enjoy his company. Jesus forgave him. Why does he have to go back to Philemon? It's all grace. Amen? Or he gets home and Philemon is like, yeah, I forgive you, but you can go, to go get yourself killed. You stole from me. You embarrassed me. You shamed my family and you ruined my reputation in the community. You cost my business money and you want me just to let it go? Yeah, no. That's how we do this. But we do this because we forget the reality of who Christ is, who we were, and who we've been made in Christ. Church, listen to me. Please, please, please help me in this too. Jesus means everything he says. Good, hard, scary, and joyful. He will do everything he says he will do. But what would happen if Onesimus didn't go back? Play that out in your mind for a minute. What would happen if Onesimus just said, well, God will do what God will do. Doesn't really matter. I'm under grace, Paul. I'm just going to go find another church in town if you're going to harass me. It doesn't matter. Does it or doesn't it? You sure? 
Is she right? Does it really matter? What if Philemon just said, you know what? I'm not forgiving him. That was too much money, too much shame, too much pain. I have to show that I'm a man not to be messed with. Would it matter? Are you sure? Because isn't God sovereign? Doesn't God always listen to me? It would matter massively, massively. I'll show you in the coming weeks. But this is what I want you to see. Our obedience matters massively. And if we could time travel, this is what I would show you. We'd go forward 20 years and we would expect normal, apathetic approach to obedience to Christ. I'm not talking about our church uniquely. I'm talking about all churches and really in all places of the world for all time. And we'll look very much like Western Europe. Meaning your grandkids, when they go to try to find a church family, yeah, good luck. Give it another generation after that, Christian what? Who? But it stems from the fact, my friends, that little by little our culture loses its gospel witness. Listen closely. Our job is not to change a culture. Absolutely not. Do you know what our job, our charge before Christ is? To enjoy Christ and be obedient with a new heart that we have. But here's the thing. How do you do it? You just have pastor make you feel bad and motivate you to do it. Right? It's like two days in the summer. Get up and go! Right? You what? Get up! Come on! Get up! Run! Right? It's an effective pastoral method. Here's what you do. You submit to obedience in the daily, monotonous, ordinary ways. Do you ever uh, play a, a sport at a very high level or meet someone that played at a professional level? Dirty little secret. If you, if you play uh, professional football, you don't just show up on Sunday morning. You do know that, right? You don't just wake up one day as a, like Dylan has put an application into the Eagles. He's trying out for linebacker this week, and, you know, he's hoping to be starting linebacker beginning of the season. Doesn't work that way, does it? You start by working out, running, learning the game, practice, 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 practice. You're discipling yourself into a skill set. You build and build and build and build. You're coached, you're cared for. And when game day comes, you're prepared to be put into the position entrusted to you, and you hit that position head on. Amen? Here's what happens in the kingdom of God. Daily, monotonous, repetitive obedience again and again and again and again and again for a thousand times prepares you for the opportunity God puts before you. Here's why Onesimus went. Because Onesimus walked in daily, monotonous, repetitive obedience, being discipled by Paul in the context of a local church again and again and again and again and again and was sanctified to the point when he was presented with the command of God, he said, of course I'll, I'll obey God. Why would I do other? You see, you don't start with the big things. You start with the small things, but we miss these small things a thousand times and wonder why we struggle with the big things. Amen? Forgiveness is really, really, really hard. Do you want to know how litigious of a society we live in? Do you know that, I was reading, the number of graduate students in law schools is, number that is larger in number than graduate students in all other graduate programs. Now, I will qualify that with it is also true that 87.4% of all statistics are made up. Got it. So I don't know how reliable this source is that I read it in, but it kind of makes sense. We, we are a, a society that, that desires vengeance. Amen? Vengeance is mine, says the American. 
No, I think it says the Lord. We, 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 we celebrate, even in our movies, vengeance. Wasn't there a movie that came out with the, the subword vengeance, Avengers? Decent movie. Interesting to think through the premise. But here's the thing, my folks. You, as those who are saved, you are positionally capable of forgiving. But if we're not walking in obedience, we will not practically forgive. And if we do not practically forgive, we rob God of glory. We rob ourselves of joy. And we rob lost people the opportunity to see God's work at hand and hear his gospel proclaimed. I want you to think about that. So we rob God of glory, we rob ourselves of joy, and we rob the lost of opportunities to hear the gospel proclaimed. Is obedience consequential? Massively. Daily, monotonous, repetitive obedience? You bet. And if you don't believe me with that, look at what we're getting into next week in Philemon. I'll give you a little, a little opening prelude to it, and you guys can read ahead before we get there. And then I'll close with this point here. Now I lost Philemon. Look at verse 4. It says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brothers, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So here, here's a homework assignment if you want to do it. I'd encourage you to give it a shot. In these verses, verse 4 to 7, that's where we're going next week. What you see in there are at least five specific examples of daily monotonous obedience that allowed Paul to have extreme confidence that Philemon was a brother in Christ who was fully prepared to obey in this ask of forgiveness. So your, your challenge is see if you can find those things. Maybe there's more than five. Maybe ours don't match up. And I'll unpack why this is important next week. But here's what I want you to see. This is what I want you to have as a takeaway for today. So I told you we're going to do two weeks in Philemon, and I lied. We're going to do three weeks. But I thought we might benefit from a setup this way. Understand the letter. Colossians 4, 7 through 9. You have a, a letter written by Paul brought to the church that meets in Philemon's house. Now, there's a reason the letter is going to be read in the context of the greater church. This is not like a private email Paul sent. This is a letter sent to Philemon to be read publicly. So you have to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, Aphia, our sister, Aphia would be Philemon's wife, Archippus, our fellow soldier, that would be Philemon's son, and the church in your house. He's greeting the whole church. And I want you to picture in your mind's eye Philemon sitting there, this wealthy, saved, obedient business owner in Colossae. And imagine the emotion he's feeling when Onesimus walks in the door. Right? He's not a fully sanctified man. He's not running up, giving him a hug. You're home! Now he's probably plotting how to get his revenge. What are you, what are you doing here? And imagine as he hears this letter, he's eyeballing Onesimus, a runaway slave who stole from him. He's eyeing him as this letter's being read. And the letter starts, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. Now, Paul, 
if you were Paul, wouldn't you, like if a good legalistic person, you just drop the apostolic hammer. Philemon, get your eyes off Onesimus, shut your mouth and listen up, I'm an apostle. But he doesn't start that way. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, to Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, the means of salvation, peace, the result of salvation. And then he starts, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, Philemon, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So now you're picturing Philemon is like, what do, what do you want, Paul? He's still I and Onesimus. What do you want, Paul? What, do you, what are you setting me up for, Paul? Then Paul pivots. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. So now Philemon's like, oh, I see where we're going with this. I see where we're going. He says, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you, my child, Onesimus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. What does he mean? This guy came to faith through me, Philemon. So immediately in Philemon's mind, he knows what Paul's doing. Wait, wait a minute, Paul. He's still looking at, at Onesimus, but he's like, hold, hold on a minute. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I'm sending him back to you. Sending my very heart, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more so to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. See him dropping the Joseph card? See, he said, Philemon, maybe what Onesimus meant for evil, you get to see how God used it for good. So he's still eyeing this runaway slave who used to be an enemy, who's no longer an enemy positionally. And Paul says, so if you consider me your partner, now notice how he started, to Philemon, our, fellow, our beloved fellow worker, right? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Now, Paul had money. He had people who supported him. He's saying, listen, if you stole 500 bucks from me, if it's a big deal, I'll pay you back, right? And I love this. To say nothing of your owing me even your own self, he's saying, Philemon, he owes you 500 bucks. That's great. I got it. How much do you owe me? Oh, yeah, that's right. Your eternal soul. He says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Then I love this, confident of your obedience. How is he confident of Philemon's obedience? Wait till next week. I'll show you this. It's beautiful. I write to you knowing that you will, listen to this. I write to you knowing that you will do the bare minimum requirement. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Don't miss what Paul's saying here. I'm going to show up. I write you a letter, 
telling you what Christ would call you to do. I'm going to appeal to your heart. I know you're going to do it. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to come check on you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas. You ever hear that name, Demas, before? Mm -hmm. Hmm. And Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Folks, plane's coming down for land and watch this. I started out by pointing out how all of us struggle in the American context. I shouldn't say all of us. Maybe someone here doesn't. At least I struggle with it at times. BMI. BMO. BMI is body mass index. BMO is bare minimum obedience. Do you know why at a root level you struggle with bare minimum obedience? And you all know we could come up across the board. Hebrews 13 says, do not neglect to gather together as some of you are prone to do, right? Well, how many gatherings of a church can you miss in a year and still be satisfying the Hebrews requirement? The Lord tells us how to steward our finances and principles and precepts very clearly. And what do we do in our minds? What's, what's the bare minimum you can get by with? Jesus tells us to share the gospel, to make disciples. What do we do? Well, he doesn't really mean it, and I am kind of talk to my kids about Jesus sometimes. Does that qualify? He calls us to love one another. Well, we just skipped that for now. Listen to me. The reason we struggle with this is quite simply this. We forget the gospel. Do you remember who you were apart from Christ? Do you remember what you were on your own? Do you remember the reality of who God is? If I don't obey my mom, there's pain associated with it in the sense of I'll be punished. I don't think still today, but back then, yeah. I'll be punished. But listen to me, if I want to take that illustration straight, the Lord disciplines those he loves. So careful here, my saved friends. This is serious business. But before we became children of God, I had no capacity to obey God at all because I lived as an enemy of God under the wrath of God who is mighty, magnificent, holy, and just. And I would have been destroyed by God and sent to hell to spend eternity under his wrath. But God loves us. But God saves us. See, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the gospel is not that God saves you from hell. That's a benefit of the gospel. The gospel is God gives you a new heart so that you can obey him and enjoy him and walk with him for his glory. And he knows better than you what you need, who you are, and where you are going. You see, obedience to God is an invitation to life and to the extent we understand that we rejoice in submitting to his will and setting our will aside. How do we build into that? Well, that's where we're going next week. And I hope to blow your minds with this. You do not have to read how-to books on growing in your faith. You can stop listening to every podcast you have on your phone. You, You can put away so much of the Christian paraphernalia that you got. Because the way you mature to grow to the point of delighting, and look, look at what Paul says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. What if that was our testimony? What if we were confident of one another that each and every one of us would not simply strive for obedience, but maximum obedience for the glory of God? Do you want to know how you get there? Oh, wait till you see next week. It is so marvelously simple, 
So, so absolutely impossible on your own, but it is the very thing we have been saved to in Christ. In this book, God, through his Holy Spirit, using this vessel of Paul, will appeal to our heart with the gospel that Jesus is better, wiser, stronger, and more precious than anything you will ever find. And if God is so gracious, he will transform us and conform us into the image of Christ more fully so that little by little we grow from a life of bare minimum obedience to joyful maximum obedience, not based on I have to, but I get to for the glory of God. So there's my setup for Philemon. Let me start the sermon. Verse 4. Next week will be in verse 4 through 7. And I will show you, God willing, what it is. How did I put this here? How Philemon was equipped to obey. And then the week after, God willing, we will look at obedience in action, in particular as we look at forgiveness, perhaps one of the hardest things for us in the American context in carrying out the Lord's will. Shall I go to first sermon? Father, thank you so much for the fact that you are a gracious and kind and merciful God. Father, we come before you today and we just confess the fact that we take you way too lightly uh, at times, perhaps most times. Lord God, we too often turn you into a human parent that we think we have the right to challenge and rebel against. Because Lord, that's our fallen nature. And too often we forget that, forget that while we are positionally perfect in Christ, we are not yet practically so. We live in the midst of a spiritual battle. We need to die to self so we might live with you more fully and joyfully. You call us in Romans 12 uh, to, to lay down our lives, to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. So Lord, help us. Lord, I pray through your word that that you would appeal to our heart, this new heart you've entrusted to us, and that by your power, Holy Spirit, we would joyfully, more and more, day by day, walk in obedience to you, not looking for the big world changing stuff, but trusting you in the daily, ordinary stuff. Because, Lord, it is through that stuff that we become prepared to be useful to you in incredible ways. So, Lord God, I thank you for our brother in Christ Philemon who forgave Onesimus. And we know he forgave Onesimus. Well, I'll get to that in two weeks. But I thank you, Lord, for our brother Onesimus who went home to Philemon to repent. And oh, what a mighty work you did through that. I thank you, Lord, for our brother Paul who was used by you to be willing to risk two friendships for your glory. But most of all, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. God who is gracious and merciful. A God who is both just and the justifier. And a God who performs miracles in incredible ways by taking spiritually dead sinners and causing us to be born anew in you. Lord God, help us to rip off our grave clothes like Lazarus who came out of the grave and not walk around with him on but walk around in the righteousness of Christ. Lord God, remind us of the privilege we have in our identity in Christ. 
Remind us of the joy to be had in our identity in Christ. Remind us of the responsibility entrusted to us in our identity in Christ as children of God, God making his appeal through us. And Holy Spirit, encourage us through the local body, through your word, through your ministry directly even to us. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to desire to obey you as deeply and fully and truly as possible, knowing that that is what we were made for, that is where joy is had, that is what life truly is. So to you, God, our good and perfect Heavenly Father, help us to know you and love you and enjoy you for your glory. Amen.